Good morning. I am Amelia Richardson-Dress. I am one of the pastors here at UCC Longmont. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. And along with Robert, with Lauren, with Reverend Sarah Verasco, the rest of our staff and volunteers for Sunday morning, I get to welcome you to this place. This is a community where we are striving to live into a vision of loving each other as God loves each of us. And so it's our tradition on Sunday mornings when we gather to welcome each other to this place using the words that are printed in your bulletin, no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And in that spirit, we are creating a space where people of all ages and abilities are welcome. So know that if during the service there is some movement, perhaps uh, some noise, maybe a dog barks an amen, <laughs> we welcome that here and we expect that. There is a coloring table at the back of the sanctuary for anybody who thinks and prays better while their hands are busy. There's a staffed nursery, and today there is children's church the kids will bring, will uh, have the option to leave if they would like to after the hymn um, when they bring in the light. So that's a, available for those who would like it as well. As we let all of those words of welcome settle on us, I invite you to take a moment to just breathe more deeply. You know, our breath often happens to us, and we aren't always aware of it happening, but it is a gift, and it is one of the ways that we know that we connect with the Spirit that is so often described as breath or as wind in Scripture. And so we're just going to pause for a moment to breathe together. You might find it helpful to close your eyes. You might find it helpful to let your gaze be soft, or perhaps just to envision something that caught your attention this morning in a particular way that was full of beauty or awe. perhaps you noticed the energy shift in you and around you know that that spaciousness is available to you at any point during this service or during the week when you need to be grounded again in the spirit that we know as God let us rise in spirit and sing number 28 in our new century hymnal for the beauty of the earth
Children's Church, Christina Edstrom is going to be teaching this morning, and so you're welcome to leave now and return whenever you're ready. And for those who are staying here in the sanctuary who are joining us online, let's join together in the gathering prayer as it's printed in the bulletin and as it appears on your screen. We come to worship this morning from different places. We come to worship this morning for different reasons. We experience the presence of the Spirit in different ways. We hear Jesus' words with different ears. Deny yourselves. Take up your cross. Follow me.
Over the past six weeks, we're on our seventh week of this sermon series, we have been going through the Lord's Prayer line by line. And we've been doing that to really try to understand sort of the power of the prayer um, and how it connects to other places of scripture and to our lives. And so today we're concluding with the last line of the prayer, which is, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. But before we sort of get into that, we are going to turn to another scripture to see how it illuminates this one. And this passage comes in Matthew. It comes just after Jesus has taught the disciples the prayer. Um, and he continues speaking to them for quite a while. And we're just going to pick up a couple of these verses. And as we do, I invite you to Notice um, if there are places where you hear the connection between this idea for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and these pieces that we are going to read. I'm reading from the Revised Standard Version. I'm reading from the version that's in your pews if you have a black version in there. And I am reading Matthew 6, first, uh, verses 19 through 21. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust consume, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consume, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And then picking up again at verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness, and all these things shall be yours as well. Words of wisdom for us today. As a little bit of a review, the Lord's Prayer is in two Gospels. It's in Matthew and in Luke. And so as we've gone along through the series, one of the things that we've noticed is that it's a little bit different in each of those Gospels. For example, Luke has forgive us our sins and Matthew has forgive us our debts. We noticed that because that's the part we get tripped up on when we're trying to say the prayer in group settings. Luke has your kingdom come. And Matthew adds, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then today we have an interesting and unique situation because this line actually isn't in either Matthew or Luke. The closest thing that we have to the line, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, comes from a writing that's called the Didache. It's a short manual for Christian living, and it's from about 300 AD, so quite a bit after Matthew and Luke are both writing. And in that teaching, uh, it instructs people to say this prayer three times a day, and then it ends the prayer with, for thine is the power and the glory unto ages of ages. People think that it was probably added then as something like a doxology. And if you're not familiar with the idea of a doxology, it's a sung or said practice of giving glory to God 
Some of you uh, might have experienced here in the past or in other traditions uh, the idea of singing a doxology during worship. It's often done when the offering is collected and brought forward in places where they do that. So I got curious when I discovered that that's where that line was from, and I went digging through all of the Bible translations, well, all the ones that I could find, to see if anyone includes this line as we know it today. And it turns out that it's in the Tyndale and the King James versions of the Bible, which were both written in the 14th and 15th centuries. It's not clear why it appears then. But it does help us sort of understand why we ended up saying it, because that's the time period when Bibles were first becoming mass-produced and more widely available. And so it's probably the time period when people uh, began reading and shaping these prayer practices for themselves. Sometimes when we encounter these kind of biblical uh, discrepancies, it makes sense for us to ask some questions about what was the right version or the original version. And we do that because we want to get closer to the person of Jesus and what he taught. And we also do that knowing that he taught in many places and to many people, and so the stories might have happened differently or they might have been relayed differently. But since all of Scripture is also a collection of writings that gets handed down through the ages, sometimes it makes sense to ask a question about how the different versions or the different teachings illuminate our faith. In other words, what do we learn about who we are as humans by how the texts have changed over time? And so for us today, the question might be, what is the inclusion of, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, tell us about who we are? One of the things that it points to, I think, is that we often need a reminder that the world rests in God's control and not ours. When we're saying, thine is the power, we're recognizing not just that God is the authority, but that God is the source of life. And so from that, we can have hope that all good things are being worked out. We see something like that in the prayer life of Jesus, and this comes much later when he is praying in the garden on the night before the crucifixion. He has eaten with the disciples, and he knows he's about to be arrested. He's told them about that. And then in Luke 22, we read, Jesus came out and he went, as it was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he reached the place, he said to them, pray that you do not come into the time of trial. And then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. It's become another traditional way that some people end your prayers. Not my will, but yours be done. And for others, or uh, sometimes just at different times, Ending a prayer that way is uncomfortable. 
Someone once described it to me as pulling the rug out from under their prayer. Like, why would we ask God for what we need and then say, never mind, whatever you think. But one of the things that makes prayer unique is that it's a dialogue. Prayer isn't just about telling God our needs and expecting God to come through. It's not just about making a wish. It's a conversation where we expect to be changed. And so we ask for right orientation as much as we might ask for the other things in the prayer that Jesus taught, for food, for forgiveness, for protection. Having said all that, I do want to say that um, kingdom language itself, for thine is the kingdom, sometimes makes me a little uneasy. And it makes me uneasy because it's, we are fast to get it wrong. And there are points in our history, and you can all think of them, I'm sure, where we have used this idea of building God's kingdom to exclude others or even to harm others. That's a powerful rallying cry, building God's kingdom. And I would say today that probably the most pressing example of that is Christian nationalism. And by that I mean the places where we are seeing the merging of Christianity and politics so much so that folks who are not Christian are not seen as equal or valuable. Anne Lamott once wrote, you can safely assume you have created God in your own image when it turns out God hates all the same people you hate. And I think we might also be able to say you can safely assume you have created God's kingdom in your own image when it turns out that everyone in God's kingdom looks just like you. Once we've done that, it's no longer thy kingdom come, but my kingdom come. And when that becomes the way that we are living, when the only power and glory and kingdom we're willing to live for is our own, I think we often end up living lives that are pretty unsatisfying. I like the analogy that power is like salt water. The more we drink, the thirstier we get. And unless we learn to rethink our ideas of power and glory and kingdom, we go right down that road. Prayer leads us to the way of living water, water that gives life, because it offers us a way to decenter ourselves and our own temptations for this kingdom that we are making. And while I started out with some pretty big examples of how we get kingdom wrong, most of the time in our day-to-day -day lives, this kind of desire for power, these moments of ego, we might call them, don't really show up in the big, grand ways, like some supervillain from a Marvel movie who changes overnight usually shows up in smaller and smaller ways. In those day-to-day -day interactions where we find ourselves being a little bit inflexible as we go about our business or maybe have a little bit of reluctance to love our neighbors because they are abrasive and rather than praying to love them, we start wishing that they would move. Being able to pray for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory means setting a lot of our stuff aside. 
Because for the kingdom to come, we have to be ready to welcome it. And welcoming it means completely shifting our orientation to all of these things. In that way, we might think of prayer as a way of practicing hospitality. It's a way of setting the table and tidying the house and doing all those things before guests do, preparing good food and noticing what would be comfortable. It's how we get ready to welcome the kingdom however and whenever it shows up. And so today, in the spirit of that, we're going to take a minute for a prayer practice called the Welcoming Prayer. This comes out of the work of Thomas Keating, uh, who guided us towards centering prayer. And this is really a connection to some of those ideas. You have the Welcoming Prayer in your bulletin, but it's really in there for you to have it if you choose to return to this practice later. The way that we're going to do this this morning is I'm going to read through it and invite you to let the prayer pray you. Let it notice where it shows up for you. And we're going to go slowly through it so that you can uh, see if there are places where you maybe get a little stuck or feel a little bit of hesitation about a line or maybe a little bit of wondering or unease about the welcome that you're offering. And so let's return to that spaciousness that we found as we gathered together this morning as a community. Return to whatever posture was helpful for you in that, whether that was closed eyes or a soft gaze or finding something gentle to look on. And we pray together, hearing the words. Welcome, welcome, welcome. 